I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. We don't usually have guests on the Touch Mall podcast unless it's like you at spring training or something, Derek. How like how many guests have we ever had? On I the had Touch Mall podcast. Pat Royce on one time. Didn't you and I speak with Derek Falvey for a podcast one time? I did. Maybe you oh. did. Oh, well, Dave I, St. Peter was on one of the first three ever episodes. No, that might have been Sports Over Sports Beers. Sports Over Beers. Dave yeah. St. Peter was on a Sports Over Beers episode to talk about the 2014 All-Star Game. One that we thought. So, it was it was podcast infancy at 1500 oh, ESPN like four years story. ago. Have you heard this story, Matthew? Uh, we th- By the way, Matthew Collar from the Purple Podcast and from 1500ESPN.com. Go check out his Vikings podcast and, uh, and Saturday Sports Talk on 1500ESPN. There was a glitch in the download. It was literally just like uploaded MP3 to the old admin before you got to 1500. It was like a homemade content management system, and you would just like upload audio, and then people could click play on the website. And at one point, it was up to like 40 or 50,000 downloads, and we thought, holy crap. Yeah, this is like like more people than than listen to like a segment of Mackie and Judd. Like, this is awesome. Or Roycey and Mackey. Which is to say more than zero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was like a five times multiplier or something that was accidentally built into the the play click function. It was a bit of an ego check. But we definitely like pitched it to the powers that be like, hey, look at these crazy numbers. Podcasts yeah. are cool. We should do them. <laughs> I was thinking maybe there was like an autoplay. So anytime anyone went to it, it just registered as a play. Or something like that. Like you every know? time the the homepage refreshes, like Dave St. Peter gets more popular on this yes, podcast. It was, but it was a great podcast. Like websites that have the autoplay stuff, just just stop it. Yeah, I mean, like Sports Illustrated, you go to their website yeah. and it melts your computer. I have a new computer and it just goes and blows up. Yeah, yeah. USA Today, uh, I think SI dot com is like that too, where like everything pops up. But I, I want to ask, based on what we were talking about. Uh, what did you think? I think you're the only one yet to chime in on Derek Wetmore burying the twins alive mm-hmm. like two weeks ago. A take that he still stands by, yep. by the way. Where do you stand on Derek's burial of the twins? Uh, well, I think that when you start the season the way that the twins did, it becomes very difficult that we don't ever want to accept with baseball people because we've heard things like, hey, you can't make any determinations about a team until Memorial Day. But like, remember when Detroit got all those players like Dontrell Willis mm-hmm. and maybe Pudge? Right? Yep. They made a bunch of moves. Oh, no, it was uh, Miguel Cabrera. And they lost like their first eight or nine games. And it was like, no, really, if you do this historically, there's almost no chance that you can get back in it because you're just probably bad if you're 0-9 to start the season. But also just what you have to do to get back into the race is going so far, like a lot has to go right for you. It's not just a bump in the road. They were really bad and falling behind. And considering when you look around at the other wildcard teams, you know that either the Yankees or Red Sox have won. So then it's just a race with whoever else is probably out west because the rest of this division stinks. But I think that you did maybe jump the gun a little because of how awful this division is, the AL Central, and then how many games are left against the AL Central. Isn't it something like 59 games against the AL Central as well? It's like over 40% of their remaining schedule. Yeah, total is 59 games. And Not counting the Indians. It's, there's, it's like 45 or 42% of their remaining games against 
the three worst teams in the division. Yeah. And to right. defend myself, um, that was factored into my math. When I said it early season, and we did on this podcast, Phil, I said, like, this team could win 90 games. Well, I was factoring in the schedule. I wasn't just blindly saying, like, lick my finger and put it in the wind and say, ah, 90 feels about right. Like, the schedule math is there to start the season. So I, I factored all that in as well. I'll, I'll tell you why I like it, though. Because it gives like you something. Take? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like your decision Here to go, we go for it. You can come back on this podcast anytime. Well, <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me of Charles Barkley declaring the Houston Rockets done after one game. Because <laughs> yes. now. I believe he said Golden State in three now. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> so now every single game is like, oh, is he going to get one wrong? Like, yes. how is this going to yes. go? And so for the whole season, we'll be watching with every up and down, it will be. Was Wetmore right at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. or is he a total dope and we should mm-hmm. unsubscribe? See, I almost feel like... <laughs> Google Wet- me, Chuck. It's almost like Wetmore, like you were in a take slump going into that particular column. A five-year like you take just, like, slump? Like you were just kind of swimming, back. like lost in your takes a little bit, and you just decided, I'm going to go up and I'm going to swing as hard as I can mm-hmm. at the take plate and so see what happens. this is like write that down for me, because you guys talk about batting average, but... Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you also have like an isolated power component to we have a slugging right percentage. that slugging percentage? Yes. All right, you guys are maybe stuck in the Stone Age. For people who don't analytics. listen to our radio show but listen to this podcast on Fridays on our radio show, uh, we we make predictions and then keep track of the batting average. Yes, and so Phil could say like, I think the Twins will play 162 games, and then at the end of the season we tally that up and say like, oh, yep, he was oh, right. Man, they got really unlucky, like that one rainout that never got made <laughs> sure. up. But you know, you get a single for that, but if you say, like, I think the Twins are going to play 163 games, and I think they're going to the playoffs, that's a, home run. that's a home run prediction if it becomes true. So that's what I'm getting to is, like, if you count them dead on September 1st because they're 10 games under 500 and, like, nine games out of the second wild card, okay, you're probably going to be right, too, but that's a that's a that's an intentional walk. My question is, what do I get for saying on May 1st that it's over? Not that much, like a double. I don't think so. Well, yeah, what, a double. Well, what if I let me let me frame a it double? Way. But he still disagrees with me. Other people still say that you're not even close to right. I think you're trying to take a very, a very much a gray area situation and make it black or white, which is sort of the opposite of this podcast and also like yes. your take personality. Personality, yes, and that. They're only a game and a half back, or we're, we're recording this after they lost to the Mariners before they play the Cardinals series. So I don't know what when you're listening, I don't know what they are, but like to say that right now they aren't going to make the playoffs. You, you can say that it's unlikely that they're going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I just found it funny that you stuck a fork in them, like it's declared done. a fork it's in over. them. But could I also make the case? It, let, let's frame it this way: If you asked Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, or Paul Molitor, or anyone, anybody who watches the Twins. Hey, we're going to fast forward to May 15th. They're going to have played most of the season without Byron Buxton so far. And Robbie Grossman will have played a lot of innings in the outfield because of it. Uh, Miguel Sano is going to go down with his standard every year injury that's going to knock him out for at least three weeks. Irvin Santana is not going to have pitched a game yet. Lance Lynn's going to get off to the worst start of his entire career. Uh, and they're going to get walked off five times in the first six weeks. But they're only three games under 500. And Cleveland's off to a slow start. If you reframed it that way on like February third, said, "Would you take three games under five hundred with all of the, all those things happening?" I think most people would say, "Yeah." Now, does that mean they're going to make the playoff despite it? I think the Twins are actually fortunate to have weathered the storm despite all the bad things that have happened. 
to still have a chance to make up ground the rest of May and June. It isn't just the schedule that is sort of playing in their favor, too, but also, like, I would guess that Lance Lynn does get better here. I, I don't think sure. that he's going to end the season with an eight ERA. Or gets right? bounced, and that, then thanks for your time. And it, Irvin Santana takes his place in the rotation. <laughs> right. right, and that's the thing, is, like, you're going to get Irvin Santana back, and at some point, Miguel Sano is going to be able to come back here. Buxton is going to get warmed up, and we've seen what he can do when he gets hot, and you know that at some point that's coming where he just goes crazy for a month and basically carries the team along with his defense especially. And then runs into a wall full speed and is out <laughs> for another three weeks, but yes. Right, so you assume with all the things that have gone wrong that if you're still hanging around, a lot of those things are going to go right as we go forward. And I look at last year as a lot of things went right throughout the season. Not so much the bullpen last year, but even then, things that went wrong early. Remember Matt Belial and how bad he was? And then at the end of the season, he was amazing all the way through mm -hmm. the rest of the year, and that yeah. helped carry them at the back end of the bullpen. So you have to figure that some of that's going to happen. It's just, I think your point is, and you just you kind of turn up the heat on the point, and it's correct. If you get that far behind, historically, and the numbers show you, it's really hard yeah. to get back in that race. I think people are tired of hearing about this, so I'll just like say this, and we can we can move on. We can talk about the Jason Stark thing that you want to talk about, Phil. And I also have a Robinson Cano update for people. But my, I guess my point is don't get too far thinking about it one way or the other. So this is actually a reverse Wetmore take. Phil, you talked about the gray area. People think, oh, they're off. Did no, you no, just no. refer to one of your takes in the third person? No, no, no. I borrowed that from you. You said oh, okay. that earlier. I'm stealing that now. <laughs> and very proud of it. But you you said uh, that, that all these things have gone poorly, so like the subtext of that is, well, things are going to start going right, and then then they're off to the races. But I don't think you can say, let's say we agreed that they're an 85-win team at the beginning of the year. They're like, their most likely outcome is 85 wins. Let's just say we agreed on that. And then they play like a 75-win team for a month. You're like, ugh. You don't get to then say, yeah, but there will be some month where they'll play like either a 95-win team or a 105-win team. And that's all that I was saying. I'm saying I still view this as like a mid-80s win team. They're just starting from behind the finish line. You're running the marathon, and the clock starts before you hit the starting line. For sure. Tough to run a sub-three marathon that way. For sure. I think we should spend 10 minutes every episode just going hardcore, <laughs> yes. breaking this prediction. Now, I'm with Collar on this. When we I have think... Pat on, we'll do that again. <laughs> when we have Judd on, we'll do that again again. And Doogie, Doogie yes. will have some thoughts on my take, I'm uh, sure. Before we take a break and get to Jason, Jason Stark talked to a bunch of baseball executives and, uh, and came up with some potential ideas to let's generate more outcomes besides home runs, walks, and strikeouts. Give us your Robinson Cano update. Yeah, Robbie Cano suspended for steroids. I think this came down prior, but now that he's been hurt, he's decided to drop the appeal, take the suspension. It's going to cost him like $12 bucks. And a whole lot of reputation cred. I don't think if you pulled people around baseball, they would have said, like, yeah, I don't know, probably a steroid cheat. I think it was just kind of like uber-talented player, really fun to watch, excellent for the Yankees, took the money in Seattle, and Hall of Famer. Now all of that is sort of – there's a shadow cast on it, fairly or unfairly. And I just wanted to get a quick – thought out there i don't know if all this is a column it's probably not for twins market but robinson cano for me guys is and i started watching baseball in 1998 i remember the home run race and that's 
about as far back as my memory stretches. To me, in that time, 20 years, Robinson Cano is easily a top five aesthetically pleasing baseball player. Like you watch him play, and you're like, man, this is just easy for him. And nobody else makes it look this easy. So my question for you guys is, who else is on that list for you? Because I was trying to come up with other names. Like, how could I even fill out a top five there? The only name that, like, jumps into my mind is Ken Griffey Jr. Where you're like, oh, That yeah. was the first one that came Yeah, out. I mean, well, he's just for, like... like, Mariners, Ken Griffey Jr. And then, like, not White once, Sox. once you got to, like, like, Reds, White Sox, and then Mariners again, Ken Griffey yeah. Jr. He was watching... A cardboard cutout with you know, pulled hamstrings. He actually, he actually had some great years with the Reds. We just don't really remember them as well. He did. But it's like it's that is like a great looking baseball player, and I don't mean like his physical appearance. Do you get what I'm saying? Does this make sense? I feel like I'm talking That's, in no, circles. One hundred percent. The way to quantify it might be how many times you pretended to be him in your backyard yes, or yes. in the minor league. Well, I couldn't uh, left handed. I mean, so and I couldn't I mean, throw it out of my yeah, hip but pocket. I, but every one of us in little league was doing the Ken Griffey Junior. stance, even sure. if you were right handed. Sure. You were trying to be left handed to do the Ken Griffey Junior. Sure, stance. exactly. And I have and still play his video game, Ken Griffey Junior. Slugfest from what like nineteen ninety. 1998. Seven, it's the 98 season. Right. And I traded for Ken Griffey Jr. to have him make sure he's on my team. Yeah. Was that he's different? got his own stance. I had a game for Super Nintendo that was it was just Ken Griffey Jr. baseball, and he was the only licensed name on it. Yeah, this so is all the, the other guys for, were yep. just like random names. Yes, uh, it was like Rod Lightning was yeah, uh, yeah. Randy Johnson. Yep, <laughs> yeah. you could you could go through and it was like the college football game where you go through and be like, I'm pretty sure that this is Tim Wakefield because he throws a knuckleball and his yeah. name is Knuckles McGuppy or yeah. something. And it was like, yeah, it was weird. But that game uh, that was for the Super Nintendo, and that was awesome. And I had that too. And then they came out with Slugfest for 64, which I think was the second 64 game. Okay. And it's just, to me, is the perfect, fun, entertaining baseball game. It's very easy to play. Like, the ball is really big. and You can hit, like, you could swing at every pitch and hit it. I hate taking pitches on a video game. Sure. I'm like, no way am yeah. I sitting here and just You're like, Eddie Rosario. Sorry, no, I was a little bit outside. You like, really tend uh, to work those pitch right, counts. Yeah. <laughs> what do I got? Four hours for this? Yeah. Like, I mean, this is a video game. It was yeah. great. You could play it in like eighteen minutes, like a whole game. So you could just buzz visit. through a right? And of course, if you trade for Griffey, he just mashes. Sure. Yes, I think it's mostly left-handed hitters that fit that description. Guys who that smooth, easy swing. Uh, who and jumps then it to mind for you? In the field, Barry Bonds. Okay, his swing was more violent than like Ken Griffey Jr. had more of a whooshy swing. I've thought about Bonds, but I didn't want to put Bonds on this list because watching peak Bonds, while great and easily the greatest hitter that ever lived, peak Barry Bonds. But in terms of like aesthetics, I was thinking, I don't know, because he's drawn a lot of walks and actually on base percentage what? is great, but you don't love watching it. What about Joe Maurer? Prime Joe Maurer. Maurer could be on that list. Uh, I, for, for sure for the Twins. And I limit this to hitters because I think pitchers are kind of just like, for me anyway, this is maybe I'm weird. But I watch even like, do you guys remember 2006 Liriano? Where I was like, oh, can't touch him. Where'd this guy come from? Out of nowhere. Awesome. And I think I, I maybe had too much naivete back then. I was probably 15. I wasn't thinking like, wow, he's going to have Tommy John someday. But now I watch, I'm watch. i watching Fernando Romero, who's already had Tommy John surgery. So maybe a bad example. I'm watching Shohei Otani and thinking, this is awesome. Ah, when's the other shoe going to drop? I think there has to be a fielding component to it. Uh, okay. Scott Rowland at third base okay. made 
line drive one hoppers look so easy okay. to field and just a rocket easy arm to first base. And maybe Manny Machado's on this list yep. uh, for his prowess at third base. I, I was thinking about Omar Vizquel for how smooth he was. And every sure. every once in a while, he'd get one of those those choppers and he'd feel the bare hand just to be yep. like, I could do that. Just yep. for fun. Because I'm yeah, Omar I Vizquel. Yeah. But I think there's kind of like the two different ways you could look at this. There's either like the Griffey that is cool and draws you into baseball. Mm -hmm. And then there's just pure excellence. That's amazing. Like with Mike Trout, he's not cool. It's one of his biggest problems. He's just not cool at all. He's Mm -hmm. just a big hunk of meat. Who's like perfect in every way. And you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, what is likable about this guy? His head is literally shaped like a perfect square. Kind of Brian Urlacher-esque. Like, yeah, I mean, there's like there's like nothing. His stance is not unique at all. He mm-hmm. just stands there straight up. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't make diving catches in the outfield, really, or climb the wall like Griffey did. He doesn't play with a smile. He doesn't throw bats. He doesn't do anything that's descript at all. But his excellence makes you say, like, wow, this is really cool sure. to watch. So what you're talking that's about with... peak bonds. Yeah, yeah, what you're talking about with Cano is like, he always had this he was so smooth and he made it look easy things that were not easy yes. which got him like made fun of by people who didn't like him but it was sure. like no no it's actually this is so easy for him yes he's on cruise control he's and still better than you will hunting in major league baseball he's shaking the manager's shoulders and saying do you understand how easy this is for me because that is what defines it to me it's not just the swing running the bases whatever it's when the shortstop does a little Quick flip over to second base, and Cano's making the turn on a double play, and you don't see his hands move. It's just like at one moment he has the ball, and then the ball is in the first baseman's glove. And you're like, hang on. I don't know how that physically makes sense from a physics standpoint. How did he do what he just did, and he didn't look like he was even trying? You know what's amazing? You watch like MLB Network, and even like Harold Reynolds played second base. And he and he was a good fielder, but he wasn't like Omar Vizquel, middle infielder. And you yeah. watch those guys twenty years after their careers are over, and they're doing the little demos. And here's how you transfer the ball and double play. And yeah. They're still ninjas. Yes, they still have <laughs> yes. it. Collar brought up something else too that differentiated baseball players. Probably the end of this era was like five or ten years ago, and then going back, you don't see the homemade batting stance anymore. And this, you, you could say this about basketball, too. You don't see the, the homemade shot like Reggie Miller kind of came across his face sure. and had this weird, this weird like, side spin on his shot. And, um, and then you had these guys who were just like, they just literally made their jump shot in the backyard or the driveway. Mm-hmm. Mickey Tettleton holding the bat down to the side in the early 1990s or the 80s. Knobloch, too. Chuck Knobloch yep. crouching down and then holding the bat out. Uh, Joe Morgan back in the 70s with the elbow flapping up and down. Mm-hmm. Now everybody goes to the same camps, and they're studying the same how-to-be-a-major leaguer guides and studying the same data on exit velocity as a pitcher or launch angle as a hitter. Like, it, it, there's no more... There's very few unique stances and unique personalities in, in their physical traits. You know who I'm going to miss for this is Ichiro. Like, totally. He, oh, he's on this list. Yeah, he would be, like, top three for me. I think okay. Gr- Griffey is, for at least millennials, the all-time example. And then Ichiro might be right behind it's him. It's like Griffey, Ichiro, Robbie Cano. Why is it always Seattle Mariners? Seattle, <laughs> yeah. For people that we never get to see play, really. Ben Gamble. But... I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Jay Buner did make it look pretty yeah. easy, too. Man, I love Jay Buner. Yeah, he had it for like other reasons. Like He was cool. He just you know, looked like he was going to get in a biker fight or something. Like, <laughs> like go to a biker bar and hit a he guy. He looked like Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> uh, yeah. A-Rod has to be on this list, too. I had a card. Super smooth player. Baseball card of Jay Buner where he's got wraparound sunglasses, no hat on, and he's just walking with his glove in the outfield. Like, whoa. This guy's so boss. I want Ass, to be that assless guy. chaps in a Mariner's jersey. That's right. <laughs> Jay Buhner. Uh But just the, the thing on, on Ichiro, like everything he did, it seemed so much by design, but it was also so unique. Mm. We hadn't really seen his batting stance before because he was one of the first players, if not sure. the first hitter, to come over. And it was like, okay, this guy really swings weird. What is this? And then, you know, he had a little bit of pop if he seemed to want to turn it on. And then his speed, he would lay down perfect bunts and get hits with them. He would get a ground ball to the left side and be a base hit Mm -hmm. is how fast he could get to first base, not to mention the throws from the outfield. Like, I love a guy who can throw it. Vlad Guerrero. I was going to ask if Vlad was on your list. Vlad is absolutely on my list. That might be my top five. I don't know if A-Rod cracks my my top five for this. I think it was Chris Singleton on our radio show last week that told an Ichiro story that, that second baseman, and I remember this when he was a rookie, like second baseman a few weeks into the season, had to start playing in super close because he sure. would hit ground balls to standard second base depth and would just beat them out. Sure. Like, forget about a ground ball in the hole at short. He would just hit a ground ball to, like, a deep-playing second baseman with nobody on, and he would beat it out. Wow. Missed... And then so he'd draw the second baseman, and, and then eventually, like, he'd get more hits to the outfield because wow. the second baseman's playing so far in. You guys wanted to talk about, like, you know, the, the game with all the strikeouts, less balls in play. One thing I miss from baseball is speed. Like, speed is just dead. Like, Billy Hamilton exists, but the guy can't hit at all. But, like, I was just growing up in the end of the Ricky Henderson era. I mean, I got to see a good amount of his late 30s, and he was still stealing 60 bases. Mm -hmm. But not when he stole 100 and, what is it, 27? I mean, and the same thing, like, Vince Coleman just missed that. I loved guys who used to have speed, get on, steal second base. Every once in a while, they'd steal third. And now it's like, oh, this guy's got great speed. How many steals does he have? Six? Yeah, like, exactly. Right. Well, remember like when the Marlins won the World Series, I think it was the second time. Juan Pierre. Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo were the first yeah. two guys in that yeah. batting order, and they combined for like 100 stolen bases Okay, we have to say- Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo are not on this list. We have to know, we have man. to draw the lines somewhere. There's only so many that can fit in the top five. <laughs> Jeff Conine's not on this I, list. You know what, though? Juan Pierre, though, he looked like a teenager they just picked up yes. and said, like, yes. like, just pretend you're our outfielder for tonight, and we'll see if anyone notices. Because yeah. we're the Marlins. We can't pay you our You couldn't outfielder. find somebody to stitch in those sleeves a little bit. Yeah, so we have that, a uniform for you, but it's a triple yeah. XL. It's just You're just going to have to make it work for tonight. It was like 5'2". Yeah. Like, they would list him at 5'7", but it was like, are you a, are you a boy? Just like a young boy? He's, he was like 38 when he was playing, and then he would... You know, steal second and third. And they won the World Series. Yeah. That guys, one, two. I think we I just know. broke the record for random baseball name mentions there on the Touch Mall podcast. Let's come back and uh, in just a second and talk about Jason Stark's plans to, to make baseball fun again. After a quick word for Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is the car dealership and service department my family and I have been going to for 30-plus years, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard. Right now, you can get into a couple new SUVs, 2018 RAV4s. For just $259 a month, 
Uh, that's a three-year lease with no money down up front. So you go in, they handle all the paperwork, you get into one of the best SUVs in the world, and uh, and then if you want something more spacious, something bigger, the Highlander, 0% financing for 60 months. Go in, tell them Phil Mackey sent you, say hi to Steve and Dwayne and Jeremy in the service department. They're all Twins fans. Uh, you can talk sports with them if you want to or you don't have to. Just get into one of those SUVs that I recommend to you. Again, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. All right, gentlemen, this is a Jason Stark article from The Athletic, and he, he's brought this up a couple weeks in a row on his 1,500 ESPN appearances too, but uh, he's done some digging and found that baseball is on pace this year for 10,000 fewer balls in play than in 2009. So a ball in play for the non-sabermetric crew is, is anything in play that doesn't go over the fence but in foul territory. So home runs don't count. Strikeouts don't count, walks don't count, but anything hit or not that's a ground ball, a fly ball that stays in the ballpark uh, that we are gravitating so far away from. It's it's home runs at a record pace. It's strikeouts at a record pace. It's walks at a near record pace. And the in-between ground, kind of like in basketball where it's three-pointers, it's layups, and there's not as much in-between. Every baseball team is the Houston Rockets. Yes. The Golden State Warriors. Exactly. And so he talked to 23 executives, former executives, players, former players, managers, and coaches, and asked them, how can we either put baseballs back into play and get more action, or are there other things we can do just to, to beef up that middle ground? I'm going to throw these three things out at you, and then uh, and Kyler's hanging out with us, and, and you tell me what you think. Um, actually, he had, he had more than three. I'll just throw them out. Number one, limit the shift. Number two, shrink the strike zone. Number three, limit mid-inning pitching changes. Number four, change the ball slash bat slash mound, which they actually did change the height Mm -hmm. of the mound like 40 or 50 years ago. And they may have accidentally changed the ball. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You mean last year? or Mid-2015. Right. And then the other one, which is – this is really inner sabermetrics, but reward WPA – which okay. is uh, win probability added, yeah. so cool, so that you would actually get credit for like, you know, whatever. Like a, moving a guy over doesn't necessarily give you WPA credit, but there's things that you could do that aren't home runs, walks, and strikeouts or doubles that would maybe gain you credit in that regard. So interesting thoughts on let's any go, of let's those go things one at for, a time, and Matthew. Okay, start with the first one, or unless maybe you had one that you let's thought start, was like, we'll, yeah, let's start with the shift. Okay, if do you want to go one by one? No, or however you, you know, you tell, okay, tackle well, whatever you want. T- I mean, I I don't like the idea of limiting the shift, even though historically in other sports stuff like this has been done. Yeah, but zone defense is in the NBA. You can't play them. Three in the key. You, you get out of the paint, right? Yeah. I ran across an old football game where the broadcasters were talking about the NFL potentially – uh, not allowing zone defense, I think it was. Mm. So, like, it's it's been talked about in every sort of league with this type of thing. So, Terrence Newman, sorry, dude, you're on yeah, an island. Yeah, you're just Go out. Get him. You're cover, 40. cover two, you're just done. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's kind of goofy, right? And, and it, I feel like a manager, as part of where we are now, has more tools in his box to use with the shifts, and it's part of the strategy, and you get nine outfielders, you should be able to put them where you want. Yep. That's kind of how I look at it. But the strike zone, I like the idea of bringing it up. Like, where the bottom of the strike zone is right now, I was watching Noah Syndergaard pitch, and he threw a 97-mile-an-hour pitch with sink 
that was on the very bottom of the strike zone. I have no idea how anyone is supposed to put that in play. If he can also bring it up to your chest, too. Yeah. Like the low pitches are just impossible for most guys to hit when they're going 97. I feel like that would balance out the velocity. What is it? Bottom of the kneecap now? Supposed to be. Right. Bottom of the kneecap to the midpoint between your belt and your shoulders. Yeah. In practice, that's not called. I'm with you. I'm fine with changing the strike zone, but I wouldn't raise it because I still want pitchers to be able to get that. You're Noah Syndergaard, and you could throw 97 with late life. Good on you. Most guys can't do that. I want them to call that high strike more consistently because now a guy takes a pitch at his belly button and, oh, that's way high and up and out of the zone, and guys are whining. It's like you can hit that pitch, but you're just trying to get a better pitch to hit, more in your swing plane, and draw walks. That makes it less appealing for the fans. I want the high strike called every single time. This is where pace of play and wanting more action and batted balls sort of intersect in that if you make the strike zone smaller, it forces pitchers to throw the throw into a keyhole, and thus offense increases, right? Cause, yeah, but well, that would be brutal in my book. Or you expand the strike zone to get hitters, much like before pitch trackers started holding umpires accountable, right? You had guys like Eric Gregg in the 1997 playoffs who were doing like the Leslie Nielsen moonwalk behind home plate on pitches that were outside the batter's box. But as the strike zone expands, hitters have to swing more often. And that's one of the main culprits of pace of play in that there's just like 50 more pitches thrown per game sometimes compared to 30 or 50 years ago. Well, that's interesting because that's kind of the opposite of how I was looking at it. Yeah, guys would try to work walks because of on-base percentage and things like that. I was looking at it as if you're forcing pitchers to bring the ball up a little bit, you get more opportunities to, to hit, hit those pitches. Pitch. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're talking about anything that's up is easier to, to drive. And, of course, we don't need more home runs. We've got a lot of home runs now. But line drives, singles, low in the zone. I mean, what you see now is guys aren't even swinging at those strikes because they'll just take them and wait for something better. Yep. And when the, the velocity is so high, it's like you can't cover all parts of the strike zone because it's, it's so Nobody. big already. Yeah. So I guess I was looking at it as – well, guys will now, instead of – one of the issues with strikeouts is batters go up there and they decide, I am only looking for low outside fastball. That's it. The whole at-bat, if I strike out, I strike out. And it used to be until two strikes, and then I'll just be defensive. And now it's like even with two yeah, strikes, right. I'm just going to for, look for my Forget pitch. two strikes because I'm trying to hit a home run most of the time. So maybe if you brought the strike zone up a little bit, that would change it so they could take a little bit more of a loose approach as opposed to I can only swing at this type of pitch, knowing that they would have to bring it into the zone. But I agree there probably would be more walks in that case. Right. I'm just I'm against making the game even more passive. So shrinking the strike zone, in my opinion, makes it more passive. Batters can draw more walks. And no, we... I don't care about length of game. I care about pace of action. And if you go like six minutes between anything happening, the only people that like that are people who watch the chess match where like I'll watch a 1-1 pitch at the edge of my seat to see is the pitcher going to get in control of the at-bat here? i got to be honest with you. Most people I go to a baseball game, they're not watching that. We're talking until the ball gets put into play, and then we're watching. And so I'm against making it more passive, and I think that's what that rule would do. Um the other one here, too, I'll bring this one in just so we can have all three of the main yeah. uh, fixes on the table here. The, the limit mid-inning pitching changes. This is something like you can you can quantify and and police a strike zone, especially if you bring in electronic strike zones. You can quantify and police shifts if you wanted to. I mean, I, I would actually – I was anti 
anti mess with the shift for a long time until recently, and I would be open to it now. But the one thing you can't really police is mid-inning pitching changes because that's going to open up a whole Pandora's box of, oh, my arm hurts. Yep, 10-day oh, DL. Man. like there's a really tough lefty coming up and the bases are loaded in the ninth inning. Wouldn't and it be it, nice? Oh, oh, my right arm is yes. really sore. Too bad we have a lefty warming up. That, yes. Like, you know? Yes. So, and, and how are you going to punish? It's brutal. It opens up an entire new way to cheat and manipulate the roster. Rosters are already being manipulated. Let's call a spoke a spoke. Guys are saying, well... You got lit up, all right, how's Rochester sound to you? We'll go get a fresh arm. And that happens all the time. It's not breaking any rules. It's kind of maybe it's going against, like, the spirit of things, of what you're trying to accomplish here. But I I don't see people very mad about that. What I I think would become a problem is if you – the first pitcher who gets injured because he had to stay in there to face one more batter, that's brutal. If I'm the Players Association and some guy got hurt because you had a stupid rule because you wanted to sell a little bit richer TV contract – Okay, the gloves are off now. That is labor stoppage material. That's the stuff that it's built around. I'm against that. The shift you mentioned that you'd be for, I don't think I uh, limiting the shift. I'm sorry. I I am willing to bet that Manfred talking about that in a sort of just off the cuff interview last year was a trial balloon to for see sure. how people would respond to it. I think there's a 99% probability that at some point baseball writes into the rule book something limiting your ability to shift, that you can't yeah. do this. Seven fielders on one side, whole left side of the infield open. I think they're going to say, you've got this many fielders, this number of guys have to have their foot on the sand, or this number of guys have to be to this side. You can literally draw a the, line all the way through second base. They are going to make... Three on one side, three on the they're other. They're going to make a zone. You can put a guy on the line, yep. line if you want to. Do, do however you want. Once they're on that side, but they're going to have zones or something. Baseball's going to... I'm, I... If you give me a long enough timeline, I'd put money on it at to the, say that's going to happen at some point. And at the very least, if if shifting continues, if shifting continues, and you have and you have situations where like Logan Morrison or Joey Gallo are just like unable to change their swing plane, and you're there's out of the gonna, there's, yeah exactly there's <laughs> going to be a, a natural selection with guys who are just straight pole hitters and and. Being able to hit the ball to all fields with authority is going to come back. That's that's one of the most valuable skills in baseball right now. And one of the things too for me is I, I like you know I do the football podcast and reporting for our site, and I love strategy. I love game planning, and I love that organizations are game planning for hitters. Yep. And when they're looking, it's basically like we're going to game plan for you this way. I dare you to beat it, Joey Gallo. I dare you to beat it. We're going to put seven guys on one side of the field, and if you can't hit to the other side, then you can go back to AAA. That's your problem, not ours. We're strategizing. We're spending all this money on our analytics department and our video scouts and all this stuff to figure out where you hit the ball. And I thought Paul Molitor today when we were down there brought up a great point about just getting – everyone to buy in that it's not going to work 100%. So it sort of created this interesting storyline that I'm liking yes. about baseball. Here so I, do, I don't want to just end that. The other thing is, too, when whenever this conversation comes up, I think about how much baseball has shape-shifted over the years and how many changes it's underwent and how every time it's a big conversation. How about the play at home the other day? Uh, was it Adrianza? He yeah. would have run him over yes. a few years ago yes. when we were growing up, and he can't now, and I'm fine with it. I haven't, sure. I haven't missed it at all. Also, so, like, and the rule that prevents you from 
running all the way halfway to third base on a ball to the gap. Like, oh, wait, that's not a rule. Oh, they you just messed up on the base pass, right? Okay. Right. I, but I haven't okay. missed catchers getting concussed by getting that's right. run over, yeah. getting hurt. Yeah, so, exactly. So maybe when I think, like, oh, would I be outraged about this change or not? I also think, though, that the fan in the stands and where baseball fans stand now, looking at attendance versus how much they watch on TV, they don't watch on TV a lot, but the attendances are great. Like, do people really care? Like, do they really care that you're shifting? Do they really care there's more strikeouts and home runs? Or are they fine with it? Mm -hmm. Like, are we trying to say, like, basketball, hey, you got to make sure you're dumping it down to the post here. Like, no, people are good with threes. Mm -hmm. like, and, the, and the NBA is as good as it's been. So strikeouts and home runs, it's pretty darn exciting when you go to a baseball game and somebody strikes out 15. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, someone's going to break. If, if, if allowed via pitch count, someone's going to break the 20 strikeout record, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it, it, it really is just a matter of pitch count. If, someone is, if someone's at 14 strikeouts through six innings, but they're at 100 pitches already, that's the only thing that would prevent them from striking out 22 How batters. close has Scherzer gotten? I was going to say, if Max Scherzer was on a bad team, this would happen. 20? He's not one of the 20, right? It's, it's Roger Kerry Clemens Wood. twice, Kerry Wood, Randy Johnson. Did Scherzer get the 20? I don't think Scherzer has 20. I'd have okay. to look that up. There might have been have one that. guy in the last five years who got the 20 at one point. Um, I think on the last point, unless there's one that I'm missing, Phil, is uh, it speaks to what Matthew was just talking about. If you keep score by win probability added, you are a super nerd. And first of all, thank you for listening to this podcast. But if you are in the stands at a baseball game and trying to get the average John Q fan of the 30,000 people in attendance to mark down in their scorebook yeah. the win probability added of the closer striking out three, like that's not going to happen. And just to clarify, because there's, I'm sure 95% of the audience has no idea what win probability That's not that is, common. But uh, but it's basically, and it's calculated using run expectancy, which makes it even more confusing, but it essentially gives you credit if you change the game state, which you do with everything that happens, positively or negatively, it keeps that tally throughout the course of a game or a season. So if Derek comes up and he hits a fly ball to right field with one out in an inning and a runner on second base, and that ball is caught and now there's two outs, but that runner gets to third base... And broadcasters are like, hey, Derek moved the runner to the third base. Well, that's great, yeah. but like Derek negatively impacted right. the game by flying out to right field. Yeah. And so you would get negative credit for we that. We were play. better off before Derek got here, which yeah. incidentally is the tagline for this podcast. Uh, no, no, it no, isn't. Yeah, that, thank you. What are you saying? I was waiting for somebody to jump to my defense. Uh, no. Yeah, and, That'd be a huge problem. We, we, we probably can't get to that any time in the next 15 years. Well, and then we're playing in space, right? Like, yes. okay, this is baseball. Like, you know, in a way, I just want to see how it goes. Because when I look at the evolution of football, what you have is one year, all of a sudden, a team pops up and starts putting running backs at quarterback and having them run. Yeah. And you're like, wow, everybody's going to do this now because it worked for this team. Yeah. And then by the following year, it was over. Yep. Everyone figured it out. Yep. Uh, even Colin Kaepernick, where's the running quarterbacks, the read options, yep. and then everybody figured it out. Right. And I want to see with baseball, like, figure it out. Right. And, and where this might go organically. Mm -hmm. Keep the rules the same, but the, the the teams will change. The teams will adapt. The players will adapt. And maybe eventually, instead of players who pull it so much, 
They'll start to look for more all-around hitters, or kids will learn to be all-around hitters growing up. Like These things tend to even themselves out over the years. Yeah, and while I'm okay with some sort of structural change, I mean, basketball drew a new line on the court 30 years ago, So I like, and, and, and everyone, I'm sure people thought that, but... To, to your point, Collar, I think you're right in that usually the personnel on the field just sort of figures it out through a natural selection process mm-hmm. where, all right, uh, no longer can we have a thumper Dwight Howard center who doesn't make any shots outside of seven feet if the opposing teams that we're trying to catch are just running, gunning three-point teams. Yep. In the NFL, fullbacks were common for 70 years in football, in college football and in the NFL. Uh, well, eventually, teams got so fast and defenses got so fast, like that guy's role became less relevant. And that's the, and I'll bring them back up again. Joey Gallo, Logan Morrison, if sure. you're just, especially if you're left-handed and teams can be more aggressive, shifting to the first base side. Like right-handed hitters like the Josh Willinghams, who are, are left-field pull guys, you can only shift so much because you, you have to keep a guy man. at first base. Yeah. Uh, but if you're left-handed and all you do is pull the ball, and teams more than at any point in the 150 years of professional baseball – are just going to go all in shifting you over there. You're out of the league. You're just you're done. So it's you got to hit a lot of home runs to make up for it. You do. And I think it's it's a fun topic to talk about. But I always wonder, and it's great work by Jason to dig into it so much to see what people around baseball are saying. But when you try to kind of pull yourself back from it, like yeah. I'm here at the field today and down in the clubhouse today, but you know I only show up every once in a while. For the most part, I'm out there in the stands just watching the game. And if I wasn't doing this and I didn't study these things all the time, I might be like, oh, yeah, I heard there's more home runs. So that's okay. You know what I mean? Or like, huh. You don't think of it on a rate basis. Right. Like, oh, look, you know, they're moving all the players over there. Like, this is wild. (laughs) If you're the type of person who likes the Twins and you go to the games and you want to see an entertaining product, like that's where the focus should be if we're making rule changes, not because we're like – Oh, we don't like that we're striking out so much. Or Joey Gallo's mad. He was supposed to be a great prospect, and now he stinks because they're putting all the outfielders over that, and I'm mad about that. By the way, they did the same thing, not quite as drastically, for Ted Williams, and he wound up being okay. But Yeah, and Barry so, Bonds. So, so Joey Gallo be right. more like Ted Williams. He's got a chance. The yeah, they used to do it for Bonds, too. They'd move everybody over to that mm-hmm. side, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Ryan Howard. I mean, this isn't, like, super new. So, I don't know. I, I kind of look at it as... The pace of play stuff is important. I don't want to see them limit the relievers for the exact reasons you guys brought up. Uh, the bullpen car, though. Now, there's something yes, that I think, board. man, Sign what a up. great idea to bring back the bullpen car because those pitching changes do take forever. I've actually like made a rule for myself. When I go to a baseball game, two hours, 30 minutes. Wherever it is at the end of two hours and 30 minutes, see ya. I'm Adios. just done. I am giving you no more. I don't care that much about this. The only thing that bothers me about pitching changes, and I promise I'm not one of those stuffy media people who just says, like, oh, my work day has been extended 15 minutes from what it was 15 years ago. I'm not that guy. What I'm saying is when he warms up in the bullpen and then he jogs into the mound – and then it's another like four minutes before we're going again. I'm not. I'm not complaining about this as a media. Like, oh, I see this every day. I'm complaining about this as when I'm a fan going to the game. The Saints don't do that. I like watching Saints games. One because I can kind of turn my brain off and I don't have to think like, oh, what does this do for Ryan Presley's stock going forward? But I like it that it's just like, okay, go get him. Like, hey, 
you've got some good pitches, there's a good hitter up there, go get him out. And that's, I just, I do think that we run too much into this, like, hyper-preparedness for the sixth-inning reliever when I think it should be like, hey, you're ready, you're warm, maybe get one to just get a feel of the mound, but let's go. Get your ball, stand up on the mound, face the hitter. So it can suck the soul out of you, like what you're talking about. The four minutes, five minutes. Because I mean, I went to a first time I went to Yankee Stadium. They played the Blue Jays, and it was a nine-inning baseball game. They went four hours. Yep, we've had a couple of those this year already. I, I am pretty sure that Joe Girardi made nineteen pitching changes in that game. Mm-hmm. It was outrageous. Mm-hmm. It was like a five-to-four game. Well, yeah. this is another. I mean, this is we should we should wrap this up. We can do this. Kyler can join the Touch Mall podcast sometime soon here. But Jim Cott, and you can't even like. You can't even rip this take for millennials wanting to change baseball. This is 79-year-old Jim Cott mm-hmm. who said baseball should just reduce to seven innings. The game has evolved to a point where it's taking so long to play nine. Let's just lop off like 40 minutes by getting rid of two innings. You know, a ton more complete games, obviously. Scoring yeah. would probably go – well, scoring would go down because you're taking away, you know, 80% of a game. But, but I'm against you, that. I'll just get that on the record. Like. I'm against it's it because you'd really have drastic. a bunch of one-inning specialists and fewer hits, fewer home runs, more strikeouts, bigger velocity. That's all fine Well, and your good. horses like Corey Kluber would go full seven, but then your other guys would go like three, and you just stack the other seven relievers back and forth. Pitching cha- There'd be more pitching changes because you just like – you just rapid fire between four relievers and two I'm innings. against that. And fewer innings means fewer paychecks, and I'm always pro player, pro union. This is It might not mean bad. fewer paychecks. Yeah, it same, would. Same number of games. It's fewer innings, so you don't have you don't have the necessity for twenty five man rosters. Well keep the rosters at twenty five and then players can't complain. And then you've got a bunch of guys riding at the end of the bench that don't ever get to play because it's only seven innings and they're not getting paid either. So well, but if you I, I would argue the the salary point and that the revenues, this is where lack of a salary cap and, and salary sharing structure would hurt baseball. And that, or maybe it would just be more top-heavy. Like you'd pay your yeah. third reliever a lot more money, and the guy who's on the bench would make less money. But yeah. It's an interesting Jim Cott take. When, when I think about the uh, Premier League that everyone likes, uh, I mean, I don't understand soccer very much, but the games take like an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I swear that's why people love them so much. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, when Two reasons. It, three reasons. You get to be a hipster. The games are 90 <laughs> minutes. Who are scarfs. And you wake up on a Saturday morning, have a mimosa, and like by 1130 you're ready to start your day, having already consumed your sports. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really it's great. Their broadcast is really good. The timing is really good because mm-hmm. there's nothing else going on then. But I think it's a big deal that it – doesn't take that long to watch your favorite team play and all these you know it's kind of like they're fighting themselves a little bit because they're like okay less mound visits for you and the mound visit counter makes me just want to jump off a high (laughs) by the way like (laughs) if you're gonna get rid of mound visits get rid of mound visits they've only got four left oh god (laughs) it's ridiculous it's like when they get rid of them it's like when they put in the yellow line in football and they had to tell you every time like it's not exact everyone like there's a new rule you can only go to the mound here's the mound counter like yeah. oh gosh yeah. and you know the is like now we're going to make intentional walks faster oh thank god yeah because there's like <laughs> like one every two games right. most of my about. friends who tuned out of baseball tuned out because you had to throw four baseballs outside to the catcher's yeah. mitt it like, was brutal like this is uh, the, uh, the if you're going to get rid of mound visits like how many teams were really taking more than six mound visits in a non-playoff game yes. really right. like is that was that a big thing it was a big thing in the playoffs because everything is 
magnified, mm-hmm. and you're going to take six in an inning if you need to. But anyways, let's let's wrap this right now. We can, let's do this again with Collar. Quick plug, anything you want to tell the uh, the remaining audience about Viking stuff they can find from you? Well, the uh, Purple Podcast is thriving, mm-hmm. I would say. You guys don't have a lot of guests on here, but I like to have a lot of guests with the Purple Podcast. So if you are interested in the Minnesota Vikings, please subscribe to that. Also, we got OTAs coming up pretty soon, so we'll have a lot of great coverage, 1500ESPN.com. Boom. Matthew, thanks for coming and talking baseball. I know that uh, your football hat is in your back pocket. You can put that on now if that makes you feel better. Okay. I I mean, I would like to just, like, tackle someone because I feel like it's been too long (laughs) since I saw any physical violence. (laughs) I haven't let my aggression out this (laughs) afternoon. Like, what's with this sport? (laughs) No, but I appreciate your baseball cap, too, so thanks for coming on. Thank you. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 328 23.